It's Wednesday, the 12th of February, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, Justin Trudeau tells leaders at the African Union that it's time Canada raised its profile on the world stage. We have been engaged with Africa since the very beginning. As I said, the replenishment of the Global Fund uh, marked a significant moment where Canada pulled together the world. But his campaign for a seat on the UN Security Council is facing some stiff competition from Norway. Plus, are some brands taking trademarks a bit too far? I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. I think over the past years, we've demonstrated as a country that we are engaged in serious uh, multilateral institutions and solving challenges around the world. Whether it was the... Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau visited the African Union this week as part of a campaign to win support for a seat on the UN Security Council. But Canada isn't the only nation with its eye on the prize. Norway's Prime Minister Erna Solberg arrived in Addis Ababa soon after Trudeau, with both leaders sharing a remarkably similar schedule. It's a sign that competition for the council seat between the countries is intensifying. We have consistently been involved in the world, consistently been involved in supporting Africa. Uh, we will continue to do that. Monocle's Lars Bavanga is on the line. Lars, why is winning this seat so important for Norway? It's an obvious way for a, a relatively small nation to wield some real global influence, if you like. Norway is a staunch supporter of the rule of law, of multilateralism, uh, uh, human rights. And in the UN, the country perhaps sees the world's most important and powerful defender of uh, principles like that. And Norway wants to sit at the table uh, and make sure that these issues will be promoted in the future too, especially perhaps uh, at a time when some of the other permanent member states on the Security Council could be seen as drifting away from, from such principle. Or you could look at world powers like Russia and China, for instance, and perhaps to a lesser degree the, the USA under Trump, some would argue. Well, Erna Solberg was visiting the African Union alongside the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. How does the African Union fit into this campaign for a seat on the Council? Well, there's uh, simply quite a few votes to be had uh, from uh, the African continent, 54 to be precise. Norway might feel it has a, a bit of an edge over Canada when it comes to African votes. Uh, Norway gives more in development aid per capita, for instance, than Canada does, uh, and often to, to African countries. Norway spent uh, nearly a percent of its uh, gross national income on international assistance. Uh, and uh, Canada spent uh, less than 0.3%, according to OECD figures. Now, it was interesting to see how the two prime ministers were pretty much following in each other's footsteps during their visits to, to Africa and the African Union. They were both very clearly aware of uh, each other's underlying reason for being there, and uh, their challenge is partly the fact that both Canada and Norway's pitch for the Security Council seat is pretty similar. They're very similar as countries, uh, and uh, that includes also their international outlook. It's clear to see that uh, Canada also wants this seat on the council quite badly. Do you think that Norway is facing some stiff competition there? I think it does. I mean, losing this seat uh, would be quite difficult for Trudeau, uh, especially after his relatively weak election victory uh, very recently. 
uh, it would be uh, detrimental to to perhaps uh, Canada's own self-image. The same could be said for for Norway, of course. Um, we know that they both would need a total of 129 votes to win this seat. Uh, Norway probably have a lot of support from uh, from a lot of Europe. Uh, but Canada at the same time will be able to count on a lot of votes from, from the Commonwealth and from other uh, French-speaking uh, nations. So there's a tough fight for, for votes everywhere and that can be seen in the amount of travel both Prime Ministers have done uh, over the past few years uh, across the world to, to shore up as many votes as possible. Well, if we cast our eyes forward to what winning the seat might actually mean for the ultimate victor, I mean, there's the obvious uh, influence that comes with it, but there are also obligations and uh, global responsibilities as well. I mean, it would it would mean that on many difficult issues, uh, members of the council, well, they don't have an option of simply remaining silent. Uh, is Norway's government up for a challenge like that? Yeah, that's very true what you say. And the, the Norwegian Prime Minister Anna Solberg recently said that being on a, on the Security Council is also a, a burden, as she put it. You have to take a stand uh, on, on some issues that uh, might be uh, difficult for a, for a small nation. But could, I guess you could argue that it could be seen as a threat to Norway's traditional image as a neutral player on the international scene. Norway's been a, a neutral mediator in a number of peace talks around the world. Uh, for instance, in the past. But then again, Norway's foreign policy is already very closely aligned uh, with the EU and the US. Uh, Norway's an active NATO member. So it's not as if Norway would have to abandon uh, its role as a silent observer in important international issues, even if it got a seat on the Security Council. Lars Bavanga, always a pleasure. Thank you. We have been engaged with Africa since the very beginning. As I said, the replenishment of the Global Fund uh, marked a significant moment where Canada pulled together the world uh, to uh, deal with and to have resources to deal with some of the great challenges facing Africa. Uh, we invited leaders... Canada's bid for a seat on the Council is also facing competition from Ireland. The country launched its Africa strategy in 2011 and, like Norway, the generosity of its foreign aid budget exceeds Canada's. Justin Trudeau may have an uphill battle ahead if he's to win a seat on the council. And if the campaign fails, it could have serious political consequences at home too. Is there a limit to what can be trademarked? It can be a difficult question to answer, but as Monocle's fashion editor Jamie Waters explains, some brands might be taking trademarks a bit too far. Can a small plastic Ziploc bag, the sort that you fill with cosmetics while queuing for airport security, be trademarked? In an ongoing case that has received considerable internet scrutiny, the New York makeup brand Glossier is arguing that you can. It's applying to the United States Patent and Trademark Office, the USPTO, to prevent anyone copying its signature candy pink bubble-wrapped Ziploc bags. Instinctively, and setting the legal arguments aside for a moment, the brand has got a point. For the relevant millennial demographic, this particular shade of plastic pouch has become a status symbol that's inextricably linked with this juggernaut brand, which was recently valued at $1.3 billion. 
This example feeds into a proliferation of trademark cases in fashion and other consumer sectors, such as alcohol. A recent report by the research firm CompuMark revealed that globally there have never been so many trademark applications or infringements. It's perhaps testament to the fact that in an era in which social media facilitates easy cross-pollination and copying of ideas, it's ever more difficult to create something unique. Just think of how bizarre new brand names have become. So when you do come up with something special, you want to hold on to it. Call out culture, shaming other brands for copying your products, has become rife, especially on Instagram. At times, it can verge on pettiness. But Glossier has something genuinely distinctive with its packaging, and without having to slap a big logo on it, no less. Surely that's worth fighting for. My thanks to our fashion editor, Jamie Waters. Elsewhere on today's agenda... City officials in Bangkok have grand ambitions for the Thai capital's Chao Phraya River, with the MRT subway opening its first tunnel route. There are also plans to build a road tunnel under the river to ease traffic congestion, but officials have been sent back to the drawing board over more controversial plans to build a river promenade above ground. A court ruling last week forced the Bangkok Metropolitan Administration to halt work on the project over concerns that it might narrow the waterway by up to 20 metres. And Mitsubishi Electric says it's found a solution for desk-bound office workers short on sunshine, fake skylights. The Misola LED lighting system, which will launch in October, introduces panels into the ceilings of the most depressing offices to mimic the deep blue of the sky. Throughout the day, lights at the edge of the panels adjust to match the natural light of morning, afternoon and sunset. Mitsubishi thinks that marking the passing of the day will improve conditions in offices, but the lights may also be used in welfare facilities and hospitals. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Thursday. Thank you.